Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If we were in a battle together, he would be an incredible sniper shooter. I would just shoot into a run of ammunition. That's Qualcomm's new CEO, Cristiano Amon, on the difference between himself and the chipmaker's former CEO, Steve Mollenkopf. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0, a series where I speak with the biggest influencers in technology and media. Over the last decade, I've had in-depth conversations with the very people shaping the future of business, hearing their vision for what comes next. Today, we talk all things chips as we speak to the newly minted CEO of one of the leading companies in the semiconductor industry. Their chips are in so many of the devices we use every day, but Qualcomm is still far from being a household name. Cristiano Amon, Qualcomm's new CEO, wants to change that. He grew up in Brazil, got his first job in Japan in the mobile industry, and never left. He served at Qualcomm through prolonged legal battles with one of its biggest customers, Apple, and hopes to usher in a new era for Qualcomm that expands beyond mobile to cars, cloud computing, IoT, VR, AR, and more. How does he plan to do it? Joining me on this edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0, Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon. Cristiano, so great to have you here. Very happy to be here. Good to see you in person. Good I'm to very see you happy. in person. And we talked in person when you were president, but uh, things have changed. A lot has changed, but uh, it's good. Is life different or not that different? That's to what a little bit different. I, I was busy before. You know, I've been uh, running the semiconductor business. I've been president since 18. But uh, it is different. I kind of feel the weight of the responsibility of the CEO job. Having fun, uh, but... Uh, busy, especially as the company is transforming, but uh, I'm still the same guy. I want to talk about that guy. What was your upbringing like? What what kind of kid were you? You know, I was a very active kid. I was being uh, somewhat hyperactive. Uh, I, I, I guess I chose engineering uh, because I think my dad was an engineer, but my mom would tell me that we'll break apart all the toys and uh, put them back together. So I guess it was a, it was a sign I want to do something with engineering. But uh, yeah, I was a normal kid. I like, as a kid, come back to school, you know, play on the streets uh, with uh, with the other kids. Brazil, a lot of things that you do, you just play soccer. Uh, and uh, done a lot of that. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I had... Uh, Wonderful memories of the time in Brazil. You got your first job out of college in Japan. It was at the beginning of the cell phone, and uh, I got a job. I was hired by a Japanese company, NEC. Uh, it's one of our customers today. That was the beginning where uh, they were deploying analog cellular in Brazil. I remember, you know, when I was working there, and I, I had a cell phone, and uh, it was people said, what is this? You know, there was very few people with cell phone at the time. What I didn't realize is you've actually always been working in the mobile industry since the beginning of your career. Since the beginning of my career. Since before mobile was mobile. Since before Qualcomm. As uh, we know it, has it unfolded the way you imagined? 
Uh, no, I don't think nobody can uh, can say that. We we always knew, and this will go back to I think my early Qualcomm career. We always knew about the incredible potential of the wireless industry. But you know, if you think about where we started in in getting everyone a telephone, right? Can everybody in the world have a telephone without wires? Once you get to that, you think about, well, what if we connect this to the internet? The internet was also, you know, uh, starting at that time. To think what this wireless industry is today, we have a computer in the palm of our hands, and uh, the transformation of this society that created by the smartphone, I think there's not something uh, we could predict it. It's incredible, and I feel very fortunate to be working in cellular my entire career. You joined Qualcomm in 1995. Yes. More than 25 years ago. How did you rise through the ranks? I guess I made the right choices to be working on things that were important. Uh, I, I've been, uh, I always had a passion uh, for technology. I think one of the things that helped me within my career at Qualcomm is, um, I don't know if it's true, they tell me I do that, to be able to see through corners, think strategically about things. And, uh, but yes, it's, uh, it's an incredible journey, and uh, I'm, uh, I love this company, Qualcomm. It's an incredible uh, place for engineers, and uh, for me to get to the CEO, it's uh, an incredible achievement, both professionally and personal. I think there's also somebody come from Brazil with uh, Latin America bringing. There, there are very few, I think, of us that rose to that position. So I also feel an incredible responsibility of, uh, of the weight of being, you know, uh, somebody that people can look at and say, look, we can do that. What's it like being an immigrant CEO? Do you think there's something different about your experience? Uh, when you have a different upbringing, uh, you can put that to your advantage as having a collection of experience that you can bring to place. It's not easy um, doing business in Brazil. You don't, sometimes you don't have the same resources. You have a lot of adversity. Uh, you know, growing up, we had hyperinflation, you know, of the, at some point, like 30, 40% a month. And uh, you have to deal with adversity and you have to, you have to uh, make decision when the odds are not great. I took that with me and I think it had helped me in my career. Your predecessor, Steve Mollenkampf, uh, had a more laid back, more cautious style, was very good at dealing with the thorny legal issues that Qualcomm had to deal with, but didn't love the spotlight. How are your leadership styles different? We work so well together because I think we're very complimentary. I think Steve is very thoughtful, uh, very analytical. You know, I think if I, you know, in a positive way, if I use this metaphor, I think Steve would be, uh, if we were in a battle together, he would be an incredible uh, sniper shooter. I was just, I was just shoot into a run of ammunition. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, we work very, very well together. I'm, I will say, my my style is, uh, you know, I, I like doing many things at the same time. I think that's why I have been uh, successful and been very focused in driving the diversif diversification of Qualcomm as we go to all those different industries. Um, it's uh, it's not like I it's not like I like the spotlight. As I think all of us in this industry get get used to you know to do this, but I feel I have an incredible opportunity and almost like an obligation to tell the story about Qualcomm. Company is changing. We have a new story to tell, and I I feel in the CEO position I have an opportunity to do that. You're a lot more forthright. I found about the competition, and I wonder is that is that how you motivate the team? Is that how you motivate engineers? 
Our industry changed so fast. You know, we've been working, we'll be working on a chip for four years. Um, we have to, four years before the chip ever see the light of day, we have to think about what the market will look, we want at that time, what the market will be. And then we launched this incredible chip that we're working for four years, and it can get obsolete in 12 months, and we have to do something else, right? So we have to be reinventing ourselves. And for that, I think the key ingredient for success is to never be complacent, to our being challenged ourselves. Competition has always been good for Qualcomm. It's good for everyone. I think it's keep us honest, it keep us dry harder and trying to take measure risks to do something different and to differentiate ourselves. And I, I always had faced competition that way. This is my conversation with the CEO of Qualcomm, Cristiano Amon. Coming up, we get a reality check on where we are in the chip shortage and when will supply catch up with demand. Plus, after years of legal battles with Apple, what's the status of the relationship with Qualcomm now? I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. Qualcomm's last few years were dominated by really big legal challenges. Are those legal challenges behind you for good? All of those are behind us right now. I would argue that we're, especially as relate to our licensing business, we have one of the most stable times in the history of the company. I've been with the company since the very beginning, and uh, in the history of our company, we never had more stability in the licensing business. And I'll argue that our model has been battle-hardened by all regulators across the globe. And uh, and I, we feel very good about, you know, having the value of our licensing business uh, recognized, but also uh, what we bring to the industry, and, uh, and we feel good about it. Your relationship with Apple in particular went through a few difficult years, bitter lawsuits. Where is that relationship today? Relationship is great. You know, we have uh, uh, a multi-year agreement with them. There's a lot more to Qualcomm than the Apple relationship. You know, Qualcomm has an incredible opportunity in mobile with 5G, uh, especially as new players are rising. Uh, it's incredible to see companies like Xiaomi becoming the number two in the world. In Europe, now they're probably, this month, they're number one in shipments, which is incredible. And we are becoming the essential ingredient for all of this cloud economy that is upon us by connecting everything on the edge. And that's part of how the company is diversifying. So we're, we're very happy about that. And I think the company at the very end will be a company of many relationships. People don't realize that Qualcomm chips power so many of the devices that we are so dependent on. Do you think Qualcomm should be more of a household name like Apple, like Google, like Facebook? Look, I'm very partial, so the answer will be absolutely yes. And uh, we have this incredible semiconductor crisis, which has been very difficult to get out of it. If I can point one positive thing that came out of this crisis is uh, the broader society realized that chips are very important. And uh, the role that semiconductor companies play, chips are important. People are interested to know about chips. And I think that creates opportunity for people to realize how broad Qualcomm presence is, I think, beyond fonts. Where are we in the chip shortage now? 
better. Uh, we're, we're not out of it. Um, you know, we have said consistently to the past two earnings calls that uh, we see material improvements coming to us at the end of this year, uh, the calendar year, and we are going to enter 2022 with a much more balanced equation between supply and demand. For uh, all chips or just some chips? For, for the majority of our chips. I think the there are going to be two exceptions. Reality, Emily, we're short on everything, like on every single product across every single uh, industry that we participate in, we're short. If semiconductor companies come in and say, we are not short, you should be worried about them because I think the demand is very high across all industry. We see this accelerated digital transformation happening. And we were able to be fortunate to have scale to Sourcing, multi-sourcing, put capacity expansion plans in place, and those are going to come to fruition as we get to the end of this calendar year. So as we enter 2022, we're going to see for the absolute majority of our business, supply and demand will start to match. Which chips are the, the biggest exceptions? Which are going to take the longest to come back? There has been a, a very broad industry uh, shortage of power management IC. Also, when you think about electrification, electric cars, you know, the batteries use a lot of power management ICs, and those are um, capacity was finite. The industry has not been investing in that capacity. So is that why years. Elon Musk has been complaining about this? I think in general, uh, everyone is complaining about uh, the shortage of legacy technology. And uh, But even those are going to come online, and uh, we'll feel good about where we're going to be in 2022. But are you saying that chips in cars in particular are going to be have more difficulty? Uh, what happened with the pandemic and you caught, you know, you had a disconnect between supply and demand, but the percentage of digital in cars are increasing at a very fast pace. I think the car industry is transforming. Electronics in the car are becoming extremely important. That's part of why our automotive business is growing so fast. And I think the car in general is just consuming more IC, more silicon. And uh, that's why this industry is going to take a little longer to recover. But, you know, even in general, say globally, across all industries, uh, we're going to be out of this uh, crisis as we get to the second half of 2022. I think the automotive industry is probably going to take throughout 2022 to recover. Uh, we, we also see pockets within consumer electronics that uh, there's also going to take longer to recover. But in general, as we get to the first half of 22, I think this entire crisis is behind us. You helped bring the industry together on 5G. 5G is now here. Is this more than just a speed bump or is 6G around the corner? It's much more than a speed bump. Uh, it starts with phones. Phones, I would argue that uh, transition is almost uh, already done from the premium and the high tiers. The biggest features of 5G are not yet uh, uh, in scale and they're gonna be very transformative. Think about companies now moving to hoteling and people have work from anywhere. That's more than a speed bump. It's about bringing the power of the cloud to every device. So when 6G, how far away is that? We are already working on 6G. Uh, we, you know, we measure every decade you have a new G. 5G was originally scheduled to launch in 2020. We accelerated by one year, we launched in 19. You should think about uh, by 2000, 30, you should be the uh, time for six 
G uh, to come to the spotlight, but we have some ways to go. You've told us that part of what will define your tenure and Qualcomm's success in it is moving into new markets, whether it's cars, PCs, networking. What's going to break out first and what'll take longer? We are uh, definitely already there with auto. Uh, we have a $10 billion uh, contracted uh, pipeline. We have $1 billion into revenues. We're scratching the surface on IoT, and we have some new opportunities that could materialize any moment, like the conversions of phones and PCs. Meantime, ARM, which is, of course, best known for its mobile chip technology, hugely important part of the ecosystem. Qualcomm is a big customer. ARM has been a neutral party up to this point. NVIDIA's trying to buy ARM, and the CEO of NVIDIA, Jensen Huang, says he doesn't plan for that neutrality to change, but you've said you don't think that change of ownership is a good thing. Why not? Without any question, ARM already won. If you think about phones, they won. It's all powered by ARM CPUs. Computers, it's coming. You look at what Apple did with the M1, moving to ARM. We're bringing ARM to the Windows ecosystem, so they, they're winning in the PC space. Automotive, already won. It's an ARM. I will argue that NVIDIA, without acquiring ARM, they announced a CPU ARM for the data center, Amazon with ARM on Graviton, Google working on ARM. So I would argue that if you step back and you look, ARM already won. And they won because they're independent. It's not like you need one company to buy ARM, to invest in ARM for them to win. Would Qualcomm participate in a consortium to buy ARM, to keep uh, it neutral? Uh, we said before, I reiterated, and any of those options become available, I think Qualcomm is, is going to be right there, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interested in participating. And many other companies that across different uh, uh, sectors, across the automotive sector, the cloud companies, had indicated similar concerns. We all, we all want an independent arm. I know that you've traveled to China a lot. Qualcomm has a big business um, in China. Are you being impacted at all by the, the U.S.-China trade tensions, the, the ratcheting up of rhetoric between the two governments? Not at all. I, you know, I, I said that many times before, and I'll reiterate, I think our business with China is expanding. We have a growing and vibrant uh, business with China, but it's important to understand the fundamentals of that. We provide uh, technology to a lot of the China companies. They're growing in within technology, within their domestic market, as well as their global ambitions. We're working with companies like DJI for drones. We're working uh, for companies on network and on IoT that continue to expand. At the end of the day, I still believe that strong business cooperation between the private sector and the United States and China is probably going to continue to be a, st a stabilizing force in the relations between the two countries. And I feel that uh, it's, it, the, the right word in the conversation should be strategic coupling of uh, the two uh, economies, and especially what we do. It's great for the United States to have leadership in SEMI and in across the industry that we operate in, and I think that's good for the United States and it's good for China. So no concern that longer term, as an American company, Qualcomm could become a target for retaliation in a, in a U.S.-China trade war? Look, we can't, we can't really predict 
you know, the outcomes. You know, you can you can take the glasses half full, the glasses half empty. I always take the glasses half full. I think we add so much value to the Chinese companies. The number of Chinese companies they're now depending on Qualcomm technology is bigger today than it was yesterday, and it was going to be much bigger tomorrow. And I think that provides stability to our presence and business in China. You're listening to my conversation with Cristiano Amon, Qualcomm CEO. Up next, how Amon is leading the semiconductor industry into the future. AR, VR, 5G and glasses, the metaverse. Plus, how do muscle cars and martial arts play into his story? I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm told that you're kind of like a networker on steroids. I think it's a it's a compliment, but how would you describe yourself, or what do you think of that? Well, it's uh, well, I take that as a compliment. It I is think a compliment. Uh, it's um, maybe more than me. Um, I'll say uh, Qualcomm has an incredible role in the ecosystem uh, within the wireless industry. I think companies recognize that we can. We can put this together. I think looking at the fact that we provide technology across all companies, whether you're an infrastructure company, whether you're a device company, whether you're an application developer, uh, that's a common thing, and that creates an, an ecosystem of all companies with a shared goal. But how do you, I mean, are you like constantly picking up the phone to Tim Cook or Andy Jassy or Satya Nadella or Sundar Look, Bhattai? I have built uh, a lot of relationship over the years, and I, I I'll say one of my assets is, I think, an incredible network. Uh, because I was able to reach out to a number of companies and create a win-win partnership. So I won't deny it. I have, uh, I had built an incredibly strong relationship. Um, I think relationships is always based on, uh, if they're successful, is based on trust and based on ability to have, you know, win-win partnerships. And, uh, and that's reflected also beyond 5G. You've been saying quite nice things about Intel's Pat Gelsinger when, you know, obviously with their foundry business, they could look like a competitor. Is that genuine sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, the way, here's how I think about it. And I think Pat and I, um, I think we're both uh, uh, part of the class of 2021 CEOs, <laughs> uh, Pat. I think Qualcomm and Intel are two incredible uh, tech technology companies in America. And uh, and I think we have been at odds at, with each other in the past. And I think Pat and I had an opportunity to redefine this relationship. Everything is converging. I think mobile technology is everywhere. So when you look at that, it's really about coopetition. It's no different than a relationship with Samsung. Relationship with Samsung, it's, uh, if anything, it's an incredible, great relationship 
It's complex. Uh, we are a supplier. We're a customer. We're a competitor all at once. There's nothing more important right now for the semiconductor industry to have a resilient uh, semiconductor supply chain. Is Qualcomm going to be in the metaverse? Are your chips going to be in the metaverse? Um, we have started working early with augmented reality and virtual reality. I, you know, we now, those are becoming meaningful business. We have an incredible relationship with uh, Facebook on Oculus. I think that's on VR. We'll be working with companies like Microsoft on augmented reality. I think mixed reality is going to be a reality uh, for us, uh, pun intended. I feel that the next phone it's going to be immersive glasses, and we're going to have glasses that we're going to wear, and it's going to be uh, paired with our phone, and eventually we're just going to have glasses. Our phones are going to be glasses, augmented reality glasses? Think about this. You're going to get glasses that look like this. Uh, you'll be able to have 5G modem and computation in your glasses. You're going to bring the on-demanding computing of the cloud, and you'll be able to, with those glasses, we'll be able to look at everyone, look at everything, and if you look at somebody and then we'll say, I'm going to... Re Facial recognition, go to the cloud, check on Instagram, LinkedIn, everything. Get all information you need uh, in real time, as well as objects and things that you want to research upon. That's no longer a technology issue. It's just a matter of having the ecosystem to mature. I think there's an incredible opportunity uh, to change healthcare, to change education, productivity, as we bring full immersive augmented reality into glasses. You live in San Diego, where Qualcomm is based. I know you're a dad. Um, I also hear you're a car nut, right? You refurbish old cars. I have uh, two restoration projects that I'm working on. I'm uh, very excited about them, but uh, it's contrary to what we're doing in automotive. All that we're doing in automotive is about the latest and greatest digital transformation of the car. I don't know if my cars have any electronics at all other than uh, uh, the ignition. I'm doing restoration of muscle cars. I really like muscle cars and from the 70s era, and uh, I, I'm, I, I love my two projects. And, and what about the martial arts? That can't be, that's gotta um, be more than a midlife crisis. Um, you are, you are very skilled in martial arts. Well, I've been, uh, I'm a practitioner of Japanese uh, traditional karate. The reason that's important for me, Emily, is give me a moment that I can disconnect from everything. It helped me keep balance, uh, helped me trying to do something else to put my mind on. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of lessons that you can bring from, I think, uh, traditional martial arts to business. There's a lot you can bring to business. And, you know, one of the things about... Uh, 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 you know, you learn in martial arts, especially the traditional Japanese one, about spirit. I think you you win the fight in spirit before the fights, and uh, and I I take that to the to the workplace how I think about things and and about the new challenges and opportunities uh, for Qualcomm. Cristiano Amon, thank you so much for joining us. It's really great to have you here on the show. It's great to have you here in person. Oh, my pleasure. Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines and Lauren Ellis. Our managing editor is Daniel Culbertson, with production assistance from Mallory Abelhausen. If you like our show, please share it or write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Emily Chang, your host and executive producer. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg. 
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.